God, thank you for the hearts that cry out to you. Thank you for the talents that you've given us. Thank you for this community of believers that come together today to worship you, to sing praise to your Son, Jesus Christ. May our hearts be open to what we're about to hear. And Father, thank you for all the blessings that you've given us that we forget on a daily basis. Help us to remember who you are. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. So, welcome to the community of believers known as the Church at Three Trails. We're going to talk today about community and the wisdom of community. Um, I've got a little video we're going to play for you real quick, and then we'll get into it. So I've been thinking a lot about community and what it means, what it is, how to foster community. How do we, how do we grow community? How do you um, get people together? How do you bring them close? 
And so since that's been on my heart, I felt it necessary to talk about it. And some of the things that's recently happened to me has really forced me to think about this. Um, So I'll get into that a little bit. Creating communities requires changing minds and hearts of people. It's an idea. You might question that. You might think it's where you live. You might think it's where you go to church. You might think it's something else, that it can't be something intangible, such as an idea. But it is an idea, and it's sparked from love. I'll give you a definition that I looked up from Webster. Webster, I don't know who he is. Dude's always got some ideas on what things mean. But Webster says, a unified body of individuals, such as people with common interests living in a particular area. So Webster does say that it's unity, it's unified. I think we can agree that a community is unified or it should be unified. It's also people. I think we can agree with that part of the definition. It should be people. But with common interest, we can say that's okay. But living in a particular area, is that, is that really what community is? is? Is demographics, is that community? Is your neighborhood a community? That's the question I have. Um, Lou and I just moved into a new community, a new neighborhood. And, you know, it's, it's an HOA. So there's a president, there's a a vice president, there's a treasurer. There's this hierarchy of people. There's somebody that leads our community. That's the person that's in charge. My kids call it the neighborhood boss. And in their minds, that's the way they see it, is, is, is this boss. Um, so there's a lot of old people that live in our neighborhood, which we love because we love old people, and they don't bother us. They don't create drama in our lives because they're mature and they're healthy mentally. They're unhealthy physically. So one of the things that Lou and I talked about was how are we going to reach out to our community? This is a new place. We don't know these people. How are we going to be Christ to them? And so um, because they are old, we've made a commitment to each other and to our community, that we're going to be there for them and help them any way we can. They also don't have basements, most of them. And so if there's a tornado, uh, we've already invited them all to come to our house. Now, there's this unspoken rule that Lou and I have that when they come to our house during the tornado, they're already a little bit vulnerable, right? They're already thinking, oh, they're a little bit fearful, right? What a perfect time to talk about Jesus. If they're coming to our house and it's the middle of a tornado, we're going to talk about Jesus. So you're going to have to deal with hearing a sermon. And so this is one of the things that they don't know we're going to introduce them to. So we might be able to pick up on a few of those um, seeds falling on rocky soil. And hopefully we can water that over time and develop that into something else. But that's how we need to be Jesus to them. We also have... Uh, a community, each one of us, those of us that are still working, called work. You got to get up. You're spending half your life there. Um, some of it's miserable. Some of you guys hate your jobs. Some of you guys like your jobs. But it is a community. At least there's common goal, right? We're working together towards a common goal. And so, in that way, it's a community. 
But the question is, how are we representing Christ at our jobs? If you didn't tell the people you worked with that you were a Christian, would they even know that you're a Christian by the way you act? Would they know? Do they know that you believe in God? Do you talk about God? Do they know that your heart is broken for Christ? Do you act like a fool? Are you out there cussing and screaming and, and getting bitter and mean with people? Do they, can they see Christ in you? Because if we don't grow this community, this kingdom, we're not serving our purpose. It is our purpose that we are Christ to our communities. So that's why it's important. Are we representing Christ? Do people want to be like us? Or do they just see the world when they look at us in our work community? So we're going to talk about some of these things, but, but I really want to focus on Christian community. So because the video did a, a fairly good job of explaining what people think about community and because Webster was not really that great at defining community. I've done my best. It's not, it wasn't easy, but I've done my best through four uh, Bible verses to define community for us, and that is a unified common goal that encourages frequent gatherings which are devoted to fellowship, teaching, and prayer that bears the burdens of the whole at the sacrifice of self. Again, you may want to argue that community is the people or community is where you live, but that I want to question that idea. Community is a concept rooted deeply in love that cannot be separated and cannot be called a demographic location or anything of the sort because all things start with ideas that are slowly work their way down into one's heart. And then it comes out in love to others. Point is, first point is, community is a loving idea carried out through action. So we're going to look at, first verse we're going to look at is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. There's this idea of considering how to stir up love and good works. It's, there's an idea that starts this, this off. You have to have an idea in order to create community. It starts here, it comes here, and it comes out here. Okay, but it starts with an idea, a concept, a way to consider people, to stir up love in people, to create good works through love. We're not to neglect meeting together. We are to encourage one another. Um, you know, this last year has been kind of a difficult year for me. Um, well, I'll get to that later. One of the things that I've noticed about myself is it's really easy for me to resort back into my old ways when I was dealing with addictions, drugs, and alcohol, 
you name it, I had it. If you want to know about it and how much it destroys your life, come talk to me afterwards. But I can, when things get tough, go in this shell and, and just hide in this shell and not want to be a part of this community, my work community, even sometimes not even want to be a part of a family. It's easy for me to resort back to self and ignore the people that love me. Um, that's my default state, and maybe that's yours. Maybe you can re, um, maybe you understand that. Maybe you feel the same way, or, or that's something that you go through. But this is why people need to reach out. This is why people need to say, I need to find out where, where he's at, or, or where she's at, or where they are. Why haven't they been to church in three or four weeks? Who's checking on them, right? Where's the search party? Sometimes people have to call you out. This, this last year's been hard. Mom died. Um, I didn't expect it to really devastate me the way it did. We didn't have a great relationship. It's always been strained, weird. Um, but it really affected me. And, and then there were all kinds of fights in the family that, that ensued after that. Who's going to get this? Who's going to get that? Who gets, uh, who gets the house? Who gets, I mean, I mean you, you just wouldn't believe how disgusting it got. It got so disgusting to the point where I felt like I was going to vomit. I had physical reaction to the evil and the ugly that came out after mom died. But I'll tell you something, that disunity in my family brought me closer to this one because Brian reached out to me. Pat was there for me. Chris Asariotis was there for me. Mike Metaziski was there for me. And Greg Davidson. There's a lot of feelings that come from death. I can't explain it. It's an emptiness. And it's got to be filled up. And that's what these guys did. I wasn't prepared to handle it. I didn't know how to compartmentalize my life. I didn't know how to take that part of my life and not have it bleed over into work or to here or somewhere else. I didn't know how to do it. Because I'm used to using when that happens. I'm used to doing drugs. That's my go-to, right? That was my best friend. But it was also the one that killed me, spiritually. That's what community is. When people are struggling, they do stupid things. Maybe they don't realize it, how stupid they're acting. I get it. I get it. It's not the people. Community is not the people. It is the force that's driving the people. It's the love in Brian's heart that drove him to call me and Pat and those other guys. It's the force that brought them to me to show me love. I can tell you, you could take four or five guys, you could stand them on a corner somewhere and just watch. Four or five guys standing on a corner does not a community make 
It is the love that will eventually come out of those four or five guys if you stand them long enough. Somebody is going to break. If you stand them there for hours and hours and hours, somebody's going to break and they're going to walk over to one of the other dudes and they're going to, how's your day, man? It could be that or it could be hate coming out. We see a lot of that. That's community. It's the force that brings us together. All people want to feel accepted. They want to feel a part of something. If they don't, they'll go somewhere else. It's a drive in us that makes us want to be around other people. We want companionship. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. And we want to be respected. And when we're not getting those things, we're hurting. Or half of ourselves or less. So the stirring up of love produces results. And those results are deeper, stronger bonds. Loyalty. And an enduring bond in the body of Christ. I'm going to take a sidetrack for just a second. Okay, so bear with me. And I am going to just, I'm going to force a bunch of stuff down you. I'm going to try to get it all in really quick. And I know it's probably too much. Probably should be five sermons, but drink from the fire hose today, all right? So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 23, unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong in the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't want to belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Wow, okay. So James says, faith without works is dead. What is our purpose? What is your purpose? Because you have one. You're supposed to be carrying out that purpose. If we are Christians, we all should have a purpose, and we all should have some, some duty in the body of Christ. It's our responsibility. I'm going to name a few people. Please don't get mad at me if I don't name you. Um... And use these as examples. I am not God, so I can't tell you which part of the body you are, but I'm going to use this as an illustration. 
Let's just say Chris Seriotis is, is the hands. He fixes everything around here. He does more than a lot of you realize he does. He didn't want you to know what he does. He didn't want, he didn't want the glory. So let's say he's the hands. Mike Matazuski is probably the feet because he can kick you in the face if he wants to. He's out there every week protecting us from anybody that wants to do harm to us. So let's call him the feet. Greg Davidson's probably the heart. He and Terry are feeding the homeless every week. Takes a lot of heart to care that much for people that seem lesser than you. Pat Neald um, is probably the big toe or maybe even the armpit. Um, you know, I love that guy more than you guys realize because he can take that right there. I warn him that he's going to be made fun of today. But listen, if we don't have big toes and armpits, if he were to leave this church, guys, one of the rest of you is going to have to take over his job as the armpit. So let's just keep him around. It makes it a whole lot easier for us. We don't have to fill that role. That is not an easy one to fill. And he's back there in the stinkiest job in the church, which is the sound booth. That job's not fun. It's not everybody is mad at the sound booth guy, okay? So thank you for what you do, all of you. But if all of those things are true, and we're just, again, this is just an illustration, then Brian Grout, our pastor, is the eyes of this community. He has the vision. God has ordained him to be the person in charge. God has ordained him to be the person in charge. Not me, not you, not anybody else. It is his job to be the, the visionary. And it's important for us to get in line with that. We, on the other hand, are to carry out our own function, our own purpose, to support that. That's what our job is. We need to focus on our own function. We need to remember that we have responsibilities and we cannot fall prey to this lethargic Christian syndrome where every Sunday we just come to church and we're here for a couple hours and we go home, we don't think about God the rest of the time, we don't do anything to build his kingdom. That is not what God's called us to do and that really is not church. And I'm not saying we do that, I'm just saying that is a part of the current standard for Christianity and we cannot accept that as okay. The next point is this, they had life groups. The early church had life groups. Let's read about it. Let's go to Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, they devoted, it says, 
That's an indication of a mindset again. There was devotion. There was this idea. There was this concept that they are going to devote themselves. It's kind of like a mental action. To what? To teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. What was the result of this devotion? Well, it says, awe came upon their soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. What was their mindset? They had all things in common. There was unity. They loved each other so much, they sold all their stuff, and they gave it to those in need. Church is so much more than just Sunday morning worship. It's gathering in life groups. It's helping out our neighbors and our nations and doing so in unity. The next point is there is strength in numbers. We read it earlier. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I told you guys this last year, I went in isolation mode. Um, I didn't want anybody to be around me. I was in pain. I was struggling. Um, you know, I was this close. I never really would have done it, but drinking, actually, yeah, that crossed my mind. It, it crossed my mind. It was fleeting, you know? It, when you deal with addictions, the longer you're sober, it, it goes away quicker, but it, it did cross my mind. <laughs> He didn't create us to be alone. We are not to bear all of our own burdens alone. It's not how he created us. We can't carry the weight of it. God lives in a community. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has his community. What makes us think that we don't need one as well? Remember in Genesis where he saw that man was alone and that was not good, so he created a wife. He loved us so much that he didn't want us to be alone. He created a wife. People, together. We have to fully embrace Christian community in order to withstand the attacks of the enemy because he's... He's walking around ready to eat us up. He wants to eat you. He wants to destroy you. And if you're not surrounded by good Christian people, he can do so. He can break you. He's not going to take your soul because you're a Christian, but he can break you down and make you useless. We have to stop pretending like we have it all together. It's a lie. We don't. None of us. You know, we want to put on this facade like everything's okay, that we're okay. Somebody asks you, how you doing? Well, I'm fine. No, you're not. You're not fine. To quote George Carlin, nobody's fine. 
Hair is fine. Sandpaper is fine. But people aren't fine. So stop saying fine because it's not true. So what I'm saying is a little bit of authenticity can go a long way. And while all of us struggle with this, me included, we got to get over it. Let's go to Romans 12, 3 through 13. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, one who teaches in his teaching. We have to remain humble. We have to recognize our function and recognize we are attached to other individuals in Christ and other churches in Christ. This is one big body, guys. Christ is the head. He's leading it all. We are not in competition with other churches. Remaining humble means we must be able to recognize our own faults, repent of those faults, but to also forgive others that fault against us. That's not easy. The last and most important point here is the church cannot survive without forgiveness. John 1, 9 through 10 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. God will forgive us and purify us of all of our unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. If you're pretending that you're walking around and you have it all together and you are not a sinner, you're making him a liar. That's what scripture says. And his word is not in you. That hurts. Hurts me. Hurts my pride. When we're caught up in pride, we cannot humble ourselves. We've entered into this sin of, of comparison. Oh, I, I, I'm, at least I'm better than him, or at least I'm better than her. Guess what? We're all guilty of it. Hence the forgiveness. We want to be forgiven, but we don't like to forgive. That person's difficult. Guess what? So are you. You're difficult. Just ask your spouse. I guarantee you they will tell you you're difficult. I don't like the way she dresses, so she thinks your shoes are stupid. Who cares about how she dresses? It's really none of your business. 
I don't like the way he smells. I don't either. We'll, just, we'll all agree on that one. I don't like guys with skinny legs and fat bellies. So Darren Brown makes me uncomfortable. Guess what? Darren Brown don't care about his belly. Okay? I don't care. It's not important to me. I worked hard to get it. I can tell you right now that it would be a whole lot easier for me to go start drinking again and I could probably get rid of this. You see how the mind works? But I'm going to settle for this. I'll eat some food instead of drink. Sin or not. It's my weakness. It's okay. Look, we're going to be spending eternity with these misfits and weirdos. Look around you. We've got to get accustomed to the weird idiosyncrasies of other believers. We have to. Because we're going to be with them in eternity. So you may as well start now just saying okay to weirdos. Look around. If you don't see a weirdo in your aisle, it's probably because you're the weirdo. I love all of you, but you are not all normal. And thank God for that. Who wants to be normal? What is it? Well, it's different for everybody, so it's a relative statement, and it's stupid. If you're looking for normal in the kingdom of God, man, you better join some other club, because you're not going to find it here. We've got to forgive. We must allow people to be themselves. God created each of us with this special bend. You'll see it in your kids. This one's really kind, and this one's hateful and selfish. What happened? Same parents. That doesn't mean we don't call people out for their sin. That doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable. But we love them, we forgive them, We accept them and we move on. I had to do a lot of forgiving mom and my brother recently. It wasn't easy. Um, You know, forgiving isn't easy. But if I don't do that, how can Christ forgive me? I'm going to bring up the definition of community one more time. It's a unified common goal that encourages with a response of frequent gatherings which are devoted to fellowship, teaching, and prayer that bears the burden of the whole at the sacrifice of self. Sometimes we're going to go into self-protection mode. Sometimes we do that. We're human. But as a community of believers, we have to develop closer relationships at our own speed, it's not easy for me to trust people, okay? It, it, it's just not easy. So at our own speed, we do that. We love you if you're a Sunday morning Christian. We want you to keep coming to our church if you're a Sunday morning Christian. But we want to love you a whole lot more than that if you just give us a chance. If you just sign up for a small group or maybe some sort of small way of serving, we want to love you more. Because we can't get to know you enough if it's just Sunday morning that you're coming to to worship with us. We want to grow a relationship with you and a friendship with you. We want to have a meal with you. We want to cry with you. 
We want to experience your life as ugly as you think yours might be. I promise you ours is just as bad. So there's no way to hold on to that. Just, just let it go. Give us a chance. We need a volunteer in God's kingdom. You have a purpose in God's kingdom. I'm going to ask you to get involved in a life group. We need you to get involved in a life group. You need to get involved in a life group. People that can support you when the enemy's walking around trying to destroy you. I'm going to ask the band to come up and start playing. But I do want to ask you one more time to come and be a part of the Christian community where misfits, weirdos, smellies, fatsos, OCDs, and anything else you want to say are welcome. If Jesus can love you, by God, we can love you. Wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, as broken as you might think you are, Christ died for you regardless of your past. He can clean you up. He can make you whole. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. He hasn't turned me away, so he's not going to turn you away. Jesus paid the price for your sin and he stood in to take the judgment. He wants us to live life more abundantly. Come forward and pray for this kingdom to grow. I ask you to come forward and ask how you can get more involved. I ask you to come forward and ask him to be the Lord of your life. Not just some guy you read about in the book. I ask you to come forward if you feel like you need to be baptized. I ask you to come forward if you want to join this community. I just want you to know that we want to love you. We want to love on you. We want to offer you an opportunity to, to understand what Christ is all about. This community is free. Christ paid the price. There's nothing you need to do other than make him Lord. We love you. Thank you for, um, for hearing me out today.